that. Look at us feeling good about something. I love that you've got a stage voice. Yeah, I do have a stage voice, don't I? <laughs> you know. I really roll into that. Yeah, we were talking beforehand, and there was just no energy at all. Just couldn't be bothered to talk to me. And at the moment, you just go, right, here we go. And now we'll... <laughs> and then I flip the switch. I turn it on just like that. It's very professional, but... Um... Oh, what can I say? Oh. <laughs> I save the uh, energy for my adoring public and not you. I love that. You gotta say, save the energy for when it counts. Not, not just on a fucking pointless conversation with me, your friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, listen, energy reserves are running low, so I need to pick and choose my moments <laughs> no I, i'm with you there I, I respect it this is a podcast where daniel and i ask the big questions like war what is it good for dan um um absolutely nothing i believe was the, the quote by the famous jackie chan in <laughs> rush hour two <laughs> nothing i believe they made him say oh no what an era it turns out though war's quite good for making movies about because we just watched last night wind talkers and i gotta say what a really good movie yeah i i went into this it sounds i mean let, let's go straight about wind talkers is a dog shit name and, and coming in at two hours 15 after what we've been watching i was not excited about this at all me neither i think i realized maybe like 25 minutes in i felt like i was going to war <laughs> i think about 25 minutes in i realized that i've seen this before in part okay and i was then I, I, this is a really good film i i really enjoy it. it's very gripping so it's as much oh, as it is brilliant. a very long film it's one of the first ones we've had in a long time that's kind of justified it yeah i don't feel like there was really a wasted moment they're either constantly focusing on really genuinely rewarding character development or absolutely mental action sequences and that's where i want to start the conversation about this i don't know how you go about directing a, a scene of that scale but john woo has leveled up for this film since face off the action sequences in this there are three main huge standout ones and they are next level. There's so many kind of set pieces involved in them. There's there's a couple of bits where, I mean, if, if you're going to watch anything of this uh, and really kind of analyse it, you're going to see very clearly the kind of bits that are like, people aren't just kind of acting. They, they very much have to be at a certain place at a certain time and sometimes it comes off as a little bit uh, kind of jagged. Yeah, stand here and wait for the explosion and then jump. Yeah, there is a, a, a fair few moments of that in this, but the scale of it is so big and the shots are often so it's long. Forgivable. It's completely forgivable. I think yeah, the, yeah. the only bit where I really had to take a step back and go, come on, mate, is one of, one of the fucking opening, sh- opening scenes. Uh, one of uh, Cage's, uh, one of the other Marines gets his hand chopped off. Yeah. And he literally, yeah. just like, there's like a shot of him just like uh, with his hands. His, for some reason, his hand is just like on like a, what is very clearly a cutting block. And he's just kind of staring off into the distance whilst this other guy runs out. I think he's supposed to be <laughs> hidden, but clearly yeah. isn't hidden at all, making so much noise. And the guy's just, just like staring the other way with his fake arm just on this chopping block, just not moving. And I was just like, come on now, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit hammer horror, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit. I mean, it's, it's a hilarious payoff, but but I don't think it's meant to be. But he even like drives the point by then shouting, "My hand! He cut my hand!" Yeah, off. It's as if no one knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that bit was a bit of a, a a bit of a bodge in my books. And there's there is a good few moments in that opening scene 
where I was quite worried about this going into it. Likewise, yeah. There's a lot of shooting and there's a lot of kind of, you know, they want the action to be big, this kind of underdog bit with the Marines where there's very few of them taking on a huge amount of people. But it's constantly showing scenes of them being surrounded and constantly showing scenes of them completely not in any cover at all. And people are running at them with guns, but not shooting and just trying to stab them. And I was like, just shoot them. Yeah, just shoot them. <laughs> yeah, this but... this film would be over so quickly. <laughs> if you just learned to pull the trigger and point the gun. But... Yeah, I don't, it wouldn't even made the 14 minute mark of, of the two hour 14 we get left with if they just killed Cage to begin with. <laughs> but that wouldn't have made much of an interesting film and we wouldn't have got to meet Joe Enders, the character that Nick Cage brings to the screen. Shall we run through roughly what happens in this film and introduce some people as we go because there are lots of great characters in this I'd like to talk a bit more about. Uh, Yeah, sure. So the film opens with these two Navajo gentlemen, Ben and Charlie. Very strange that they just give them very straight up and down white dude names. I felt like they didn't really trust the audience to get on board so they were like, okay, well, we'll just call them these things. But I think that is maybe intentional to show they're not so different. Well, there, there's a lot of this, which is the kind of the two cultures colliding and obviously with a huge history with uh, Native Americans and what they now class themselves as actual Americans. It, 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 it's a very kind of thought-provoking film and the kind of the, the bonds they make over this other war, but there's still absolutely a history of, you know, horrible, horrible racism. <laughs> and I think they, they do it quite tactfully in this. Yeah, I think so too. There's there's a line much later in the film where they, where Ben, who's as, alongside Ken, uh, sorry again. Ken. Ken. Ken, ben Ken, Ken. Cage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see you watch the film, Ben. Ben, what's his last name? Yatsi. Uh, ben Yatsi. <laughs> ben Yatsi and Nick Cage's character, Joey Stenders. They uh, have this scene where some mistrust comes between them and Ben refers to it as cowboys and Indians never being able to get along. And I think the whole film is basically that, as these yeah. US Marines and these much more peaceful Navajo people that are just trying to do right. I mean, he makes great points that, like, it's it's our war too. Just because we're not white people and not from the same part of the States as you doesn't mean that we don't feel as passionately about this. I felt the script was really strong for the most part in this. And like I said already, there's really not many wasted moments on the screen. 90% of this is some of the strongest film work that we've seen Cage in. Um, there is there is kind of 10% of this, which inevitably does kind of fall a little bit short. I just think with the subject matter being so... Uh, it's not so much as... It's not as on the nose as kind of 8mm or some of the other things we've seen. Mm. Because I don't think anyone's playing... I think that's what I enjoyed about this. No one's playing an exaggerated... Nothing's played for laughs in this when they when they tackle serious matter. Yeah, yeah, co- completely. Which right. I don't think we've seen a Cage film go that direction before. It always kind of uh, brings up the subject matter and then tries to poke fun, uh, it, it, and it just seems just seems a little bit. Mm. It does a good job of sort of putting some of these silly things under the microscope to make you realise just how ridiculous racial prejudice of any sort is. We'll circle back to that. So the film at its core is about these two Navajo men, Ben and Charlie, which is funny because that's mine and my brother's names. Oh, I absolutely did not clock that. Yeah, not until right at the very end. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) They speak Navajo, which they use Navajo code through all of this, which is a way of communicating information over the radio waves that can't be intercepted there's a a moment where the japanese try to 
intercept the message and don't understand them. They say it's like they're speaking English underwater because it's just this unknown language. I didn't know this film educated me quite a bit. I didn't know much about the Navajo Code and the, how that was used in the Vietnam War in such a large amount to win it. I mean, yeah, I I had absolutely no idea, but I will quickly say that this is World War Two and not uh, Vietnam. Yep. As I said that, I went, well, that was wrong. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll get away I, with I was it. Just like, uh, do I correct him? Do I let him edit in post? Who's going to come across the bigger <laughs> moron if we leave it? <laughs> if I just agree, am I then complicit to the stupidity? Yeah, that's my bad. Literally watch the film, but don't worry about <laughs> it. Whistleless Cage, which war was yes. this? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Okay, so the film goes on. After we're introduced to Ben and Charlie... Uh, we cut to Nick Cage's character and he is surrounded by a bunch of his other troops. He has a sort of sergeant role in this. He's commanding people and they're fighting a losing battle at this this dark, stormy situation that they're in. All his troops are begging him that they should fall back, but this is a man who loves orders and he says that they have to carry on. Every single one of his troops, bar him, despite the fact that Cage literally gets hit with a grenade, they all die. It's not really revealed how he gets out of that situation, but he seems to, because next we see him, he's sat in a chair with a blanket on his lap, looking out of a window, forlorn, while he has a, a mushed-up ear. i got to say, it was great that this man has a fascinating pair of ears. I've noticed it in the past, but it was never really worth bringing it up. But we get a great shot that goes from one of his fascinating ears and pans round his head to the other to see that this one has been mangled. Yeah, that they try and show you, it's like, look how, look how bad this ear is. And now here's the one that's been blown off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this man has some very interesting shaped ears. Like I've, a few times in past watches, I've instantly recognised him from his silhouette from behind because of the shape of his ears they're sort of like diamonds anyway I, th I thought it was great that the film was really making a point of showing that to us the audience yeah I think it's about time that they got some some real screen time we learn that Joe Enders is a man who has basically he's been blown to shit by this grenade and has a perforated eardrum and is in an equilibrium equi ah, shit <laughs> his inner equilibrium nice. has been it's described as being all screwy and he's sort of rehabilitating and he's learning to walk. I like they use the technical terms in this hospital. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> I'm really sorry, Nick, but your ears all screwy. And that's the <laughs> one and only, I think, female character in this whole film. She says that to him. And classically, what does Nick do? Yeah. Tries to show off to her, tries to get the girl by just being maybe even more of a fucking idiot than usual. I was like, immediately in this, we, we've just seen him come off the back. Um, he, got, he got promoted up to Captain Steal Your Girl. Yep. In one of the last films, and today he gets promoted to Sergeant Steal Your Girl. Yes, Sergeant Steal Your Girl. What I love about this is that he tries to impress this girl. He's a, as I say, girl. She's a nurse in the hospital, but she's also later on a captain. It was very unclear what her role was. She was literally just woman. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand that. Felt like four different roles in this whenever they needed to humanize Nick. I think everyone, like you know, everyone got together, like John Woo, Nick Cage, uh, you know, uh, Peter Stormer. They all got together and just went between us we know one woman <laughs> let's get her to play all of the roles <laughs> the only woman that Nick knows that he hasn't married yeah <laughs> <laughs> but which is what I didn't get so she's trying to treat him and give him these like you know he's desperate to get back to war but he's clearly not well and the only this is one of the flaws that I found with this scene he tries to impress her by being like oh well look at this I can I can walk kind of thing as if that's going to be like wow 
look at all he can offer <laughs> and he and he can barely walk and you know it's one of those it's kind of doing it for pride but then the next thing he's just like well are you going to help me or what and then she helps him fake a test to pretend that his ears okay and i was like is that all it took yeah that was <laughs> is easy. That, is that really all it took was you know Wow, he's he's pretty fucking good at walking after this bomb's just blown him up. Yeah, he cheated the test and managed to trick himself. Oh, yeah, I'm going to lie for him and get him back straight to the front line. Yeah, off you go, <laughs> mate. Here's a very sensitive, intense mission we need you involved in. <laughs> you can go to the front line. Her lies get him get him the job that essentially gets him the uh, the promotion to sergeant. Wow. And I, I don't understand why anyone that's like... Um, ben clocks it quite early on that he can't hear in one of his ears. Yeah. What I didn't understand is like they they play this. They don't play it for laughs, which is great. But there's a lot of kind of moments where people are talking on that side of him, and he just doesn't have a clue. And there's nothing else going on. There's no other sounds to distract him. And I'm not being funny, but if you close one of your ears, you can still hear what's going on the other side of you, just not as well. If someone's talking right next to you, and it's just like, oh come on now, this is this is pretty daft. We learn just as he's assigned his mission, and his commander is going through some of. Uh, Cage's record and stuff in the past there that in the past he stole a motorbike which I thought was a sick Ghost Rider reference yeah I was going to say he's got he's still got those chains and that he assaulted someone called Crispin <laughs> it's as if all of this has been true it's as if what as if our Cage conspiracy is literally it's writing itself at this point Cage didn't even have to act in that scene he was just like yep yep oh we're rolling okay you heard about <laughs> you the cockroach be- you would believe what I put on his anus <laughs> Ben Yatsi is a fantastic character who I adore. He is probably, he steals this for me. He he is such a sweetheart. He tackles such a complex role with real grace, I think, in this. And What's I, the name of the actor that plays him? Uh, that is Adam Beach. I don't know Adam Beach. I, I don't think I've really seen him in anything before, but he's great because you're completely right. He goes through probably, well, actually, I was going to say the biggest arc, but I was thinking about this just before we started recording, and for my money... This is the biggest character arc we see Nick Cage go through through any film we've yeah. watched so far. Well, it's it's probably worth noting as well that this is the highest budget film that we've seen Nick Cage in to this point. That makes a sense, and most of that budget is just literally burned. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a $115 million budget for this. Wow, Jesus. I mean, it looks like it. This film, honestly, does, doesn't look like it was made in 2002. I, I can tell you what's uh, what's a little bit horrible about this, though, is the, the worldwide gross for this film is uh, 70, 77 mil. Oh, that's... It's this was not a, a box office hit. I think that's probably due to the length of it. And like you say, it's got a really shit name. Yeah, I'd never even heard of it before. You can't call a film Wind Talkers and expect people to be interested. The whole premise of this film from then on, Nick Cage has to, you know, uh, protect... He's kind of tasked with protecting this Navajo soldier, but he's not actually protecting him. He's tasked with protecting the code that he knows in case he gets caught and tortured and gives up the code. So he's taught very early on that not to get close to to Ben, he's expendable and to kill him if he looks like he's going to get into enemy hands. Yes. And that's kind of where this film starts to get good absolutely which sounds that because that's when that's when this gets complex and you, you can kind of tell what's going to happen but it is done very well where they do get close you know it's turned into a no man left behind kind of thing similar to the end and yeah yeah it's it's it, it's just a really great enjoyable war film really cage is playing a character who is suffering some extreme ptsd off the back of his last mission where everyone gets killed apart from him and he still gets awarded a medal for that and actually this is where I'd love to throw in just a quick little round of Quizless Cage if you don't mind yeah go on then uh, I would love if you could tell me what happened to and this is easy but it just aids this uh, storytelling I'm doing here what happened to Nick Cage's first 
silver star he gets awarded. Oh, he takes it into the ocean. That's right. He throws it into the ocean because he is feeling so guilty about he got awarded a silver star despite he's the only one that lived and it was his fault that everybody died. Yeah, it's, it's like a real tough moment when they're talking about it. Um, I think we learn about that when he gets his second star um, after and he he immediately credits the other people who should have got it and then gives it to uh, one of the he, he gives it to someone to send to one of the dead soldiers wives that, because he thinks that they deserve it more and I think that this is a really uh, one of the, again one of the more complex roles that we see Cage play because he's really battling and it is somewhat believable in this quite right it's like he's kind of a man struggling with this duality between he lives to serve orders, but he's also got this kind of PTSD-driven racial prejudice. And Ben Yatsi knows he spots this a mile off, but he kind of uses it to his advantage a little bit. And I just love like how straight-talking Ben is in this film. Like he can see a mile off that what Cage is going through and tries to help. And it's just like kills him with kindness, effectively. Okay, well, let's talk about um, Ben for a second. Please. Because you were asking, that you said you didn't know what else he'd been in. Yeah. Um, I, I quickly looked it up. This is probably his second biggest film, which is a real shame because this seems like this was quite early in, in the career. This film deserves to be bigger as well. I'll say that right now. Oh, 100%. 100%. This is, I, I really um, recommend this film to anyone that... Lo- I'm not even that into war films, to be honest. they are very depressing to me but this because it's so character based and because the action is just so over the toply oh it's fantastic then yeah I, I really enjoyed it it's not the kind of film that I'd ever pick to watch but I'm really glad that we got to watch this because it's something that I definitely revisit yeah thank you Nick yeah absolutely thank you Nick thank you to Adam Beach as well he said the, the playing Ben was, was absolutely fantastic um, you may remember him from 2016 Suicide Squad <laughs> where he played Slipknot <laughs> you can't I, <laughs> You can't just name a dude Slipknot. I'm sorry, that's taken. In that, in that film, I think you can. I, I've not seen that film. No, nor have I. I like the idea that he's just playing the band Slipknot. He's all of them. Whilst we are on the topic of Ben, I'd like to hit you back with another Quizzless Cage. Yep, that's even the score. So one of the first times that Ben Yahtzee gets to meet Joe Enders, uh, Joe is being sick. I would like to know, we, we know he can't eat, so this was kind of inevitable. I would like to know what Ben offers him. I haven't even wrote this down, I'm no scoping it, he offers him a lifesaver. That's exactly right, yeah. Which I think is like an American polo. It's some sort of mint or kind of like a, a some sort of palate cleansing sweet. And he says that he has them on the basis that um, from where they're from, they've never been on boats. So him and his, fr- his Navajo friends were getting quite seasick. So they'd have that to take the taste out of their mouths. This is a very amicable round of Quizless Cage. And I thank you for it. I feel like we've come a long way in these last couple of weeks together, Daniel. And we're real comrades <laughs> in this war on Cage. You were lucky. I was going to go with question two. How many explosions were there in the 34th minute of this film? <laughs> nine. <laughs> Answer's none. <laughs> oh, shit. Got me. I end up making so many notes for this because, um, but I, don't, I and honestly, I don't know if that many are that great. But I'd love to talk about Cage a bit more in this. He does a really good job. He, he is one of the most unhinged in this film we've seen him because he is a guy dealing with PTSD. And the first time he goes back into the field and he is killing for the first time again. He gets very into it, and the little, yeah. the dark glow behind his eye we get when he's we get a shot after he's killed someone again for the first time, and it was it was really great. Like I I, I felt. I feel it. like this was the kind of dark 
kind of character building experience we got from Nick that I really wanted us to get from 8mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, he's clearly capable of these roles. I really wish they they could just remake that film. Yeah. But, you know, with Bruce Willis. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> one thing we do need to talk about, there is a scene in this in which Nick eats. Shit, really? I can't believe that flew over my head. Let me think about it. Well, this is brilliant. He... It's one of the um, other moments when he meets Ben and um, they're getting food before they go out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Nick tries to eat his little marine kind of, it looks like prison slop, whatever it is. It's literally the first time they've met, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, As a side note to this, like, I, I really felt for <laughs> Ben in that scene because I, not only do we share a name, but I, I felt like that's exactly what would happen to me if I ever met Nick Cage. I get that, but I felt so horrible for Nick Cage because it's the closest he gets to eating something. <laughs> and then Ben comes over and just spills it all, all over it. He spills Nick Cage's drink, offers him his own drink, and then spills it on his food. <laughs> it is brutal. But what I was going to get at prior to this is something that we've not talked about for a while with Nick's eating. Okay. There's a moment where he comes over and uh, Cage says to uh, to Ben that he's blocking his view and then it pans across to what Nick's staring at and he is just he's eating his food whilst just absolutely eyeballing this seagull just staring it down and we know we know how he likes his food we know he likes birds and the things that they do uh, this is pre before he will only eat dignified shagging animals but this is at oh, do the we point have, do we have a time scale on, on at what point he decides that in his life no I don't think so but I think think this is where he's getting into it because all of a sudden he's like wow i can only eat when i'm staring at birds that's so weird <laughs> I, I hope we see that again <laughs> that's such a funny cut where he goes you're ruining my view and then yet yeah, it's just a hard cut to a close-up of a seagull yeah. staring at the camera <laughs> Which, what i loved about that is that's absolutely when you see like the long shots of where they are that's just stock footage of a seagull. Yeah, just sat somewhere. That's that. The scenery behind them is nowhere near where they are. So th we can assume that Nick Cage has got some crazy, like binocular vision. He's lost his hearing, but his eyesight is absolutely boosted. He can see for miles to a seagull that's not even. There. Oh, it's like the Daredevil thing, but in a in a different yeah, that's way. It. And now he can he can spot seagulls from up to a mile away. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that's a new superpower he's developed here. <laughs> what I loved about this was that the notes that I made for this. Is a I was right. Cage checking out the seagull while he eats. The curse is broken because he finally manages to swallow some food, and then immediately afterwards, and then there's food all over him. Classic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does not work out for him. I was so so certain that he he'd lifted the curse at this point, but unfortunately, the spirit of vengeance lives on. <laughs> Speaking of the spirit of vengeance, there's a there's a scene here where, again, I really like how to the point Ben is, and he is talking about. Uh, he's talking about Navajo traditions after Cage watches him and Charlie performing a Navajo ritual the night before to send some of the spirits to the other world after they've all been gunned down in the war. And he just asks Cage straight up, do you see ghosts? And he gets real shifty about that. Yeah, he does, doesn't like that. Last time we were with Nick Cage, he was a ghost. And we know full well <laughs> he goes on to become one that rides a motorcycle and is also a spirit of vengeance. So I thought it was great that he never... 
offers a response to that. He just brushes over it, and I thought that was great because he was like, well, I don't see them, but I am one, so I don't know really how to answer your question, so I'm just going to not. Well, this, is it. this is clearly um, off the back of losing the, the time-travelling mandolin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's not got much left, and I think we're going to start to see that coming up. Um, looking at the films we have got coming up, and in the spirit of uh, vengeance, <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that we are 10 days out from meeting Johnny Blaze in Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah, shit. Ghost Rider is coming up. So it, it's probably a good note to say this, because I think this episode will be out before then. Yes. Daniel and I are planning to do another live-streamed watch-along event for that. So I imagine by the time this episode goes out, we'll have some more information up about that on the couple bits of social media the podcast has. So if you go and look at at UncagedCast on Instagram or on Twitter, we will, hopefully, we will deign to have some more information about how you can join us meeting johnny blaze for the first time daniel you're looking forward to it i can't wait (laughs) (laughs) i don't it's one of those things that's become such a joke between us that i thought that was going to be the low point but we've been put through so much that i think it might be a highlight no i i think it's going to be exactly that it's going to be hopefully it's something we can laugh at and with and at each other <laughs> through it. I'm gonna. Ha- it's one of those laugh or cry situations, Ben. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I pick my lane. <laughs> I think that one is going to be okay. I think hanging out with Johnny Blaze a second time. That's really going to get my goat right there. A few weeks later is going to be a rough go of it. We're, we're very aware that Cage rarely treats us to the, the same performance twice. I, like, I think he does it in National Treasure, which of course there is a sequel to. I also, while I'm on that note, I'll put a pin in that. He also comes back and plays Johnny Blaze a second time, so I'm fascinated to find out why. Read money. Well, there's only three characters he's ever played twice, and that's Johnny Blaze, Ben Gates, <laughs> and Daddy. <Deddy. laughs> the latter of them, he elected to himself. Yeah, wasn't even asked to. They said, you can play whoever you want, and he went, I want to play this guy again. Yeah. We've got unfinished business. <laughs> I'm going to go back and fight that deep fryer. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope he's still wearing a wig in, me um, too. in Arsenal. Oh, me too. I'm so that would be such a that. funny reveal. If he, if he gets us again with it, then absolutely fuck us. We've learned nothing. The pin I put there is there have been a lot of rumours circulating around at the moment that a National Treasure 3 is in development. Have you heard Heard anything about this? This is something that I follow greatly uh, outside of the podcast. <laughs> I <laughs> absolutely adore the National Treasure films. Like, so I, I'm, I, I've seen the rumours of a third. I mean, they've. It's one of those things where it's been kind of spoken about and rumoured for more or less the last decade. Wow. But I mean, how long has it it's been since 2007? So we're 13 years without Ben Gates at this point. I don't know if we'll ever get it. I really hope so. It would be the first time. Uh, Cage goes for the hat trick of reprised role. And I think that's not really his style. Like the thing in this for him almost certainly would be money. It absolutely isn't. But yeah, now that Disney Plus is a thing. Mm, interesting. I feel like this could be a great like straight to online film. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think people would splash out to see it. I Honestly, I, I would pay a lot of money to see National Treasure Free. <laughs> well, we live in hope, I suppose. Let's round off talking about wind talkers then we're going to move into a certain segment and then we're going to look on to what's on the horizon at the end of wind talkers and i think we both knew it was going to end like this this is the most vivid rendition of nick cage dying on screen we've ever seen it's one of it's not an over-the-top war movie action death it's a slow 
fade where he makes his peace and he, he literally says his prayers and the, the camera does not shy away as we see the light leave his eyes. Dan, how did you feel watching Nick Cage or Joe Enders in this in this case, die on screen. I mean, I was surprised that he didn't choke on some fruit earlier in the film. <laughs> he had a good If run. he was going to go at any point, and you know, he's he's had some real touch and go moments where I thought he was going to go. Yeah, this is a very sad moment, and it's it's played out very well with the direction, uh, both uh, Ben and Joe in, in this scene, as they kind of rekindled this kind of. There's there's so much love, but bad blood between them that I think you'd kind of only get from being in those scenarios where your life is literally in someone else's hands and obviously at this point Ben has just found out Cage's character is not actually there to protect him he's there to protect the code yes and then Nick's trying to convince him that you know it's 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 become more than that but you know it kind of sends Ben on this real like it's just such a roller coaster kind of 15 20 minutes that bit where oh, it totally is where ostensibly cage creates a monster you know yeah. his rage that he was suffering before all that he has to make the ultimate choice and he has to take out the other navajo because he's going to be kidnapped and he has to protect the code he's following orders but as soon as he does this he's confronted with what he is and there's there's a line earlier on the film where we get a drunk scene of him but this weird remorseful version of a drunk cage where he keeps saying to himself i'm a good fucking marine but i think this is the moment where he realizes that's all he is and he had an yeah, opportunity there's a huge difference friends. between being a good marine and a good person and i think that's the morality side of that really comes in because it's taking one really horrible moment for what is inevitably the great good and that's what he keeps focusing on is we've we've saved a lot of marines today and that's the only plus that he can kind of take from it is like me having to do this will save lives in the long run but he never really he can't live with it at all yeah it was it was a powerful scene and it was really well played out and genuinely quite affecting like these characters I, I really enjoyed spending time with Cage and Ben in this film like I really liked learning more about them absolutely I think this is the first film I've seen in the long uh, probably the last two weeks that I haven't had to take a break through the middle of because I was just actually enjoying this so much yeah likewise I mean I started this very late last night but I, I, I saw the whole thing through because I, I really enjoyed it though I must admit it was quite quite jarring to watch Nick Cage die at about one o'clock in the morning through your own bleary eyes but yeah I've got no one to blame but myself and my timekeeping skills for that um a great film I really recommend it to anyone who has a couple hours in your hands it's not an easy watch but um well, that's, that's everyone right now to be honest yeah, so, so go and watch uh Wind's Talker genuinely I think this film should be better known than it is and I'm I'm very grateful to Nick for letting us experience this and i would like to be nice to nikki in fact and say you've got good taste and you always keep us guessing sometimes for better sometimes for worse but this was this was one of the nicest gifts surprises should i say you've bestowed on us so far thank you Nick. yeah i just say i'd love to be nice to nikki but i, I think this is just a, a very similar just an all-round thank you because this this is a great film that we wouldn't have found probably like i said i've definitely seen parts of this before in passing when it's been on television but never sat down and watched the whole thing and like i said i couldn't recommend it enough it's some of i would go as far as to say it's in his top three acting roles that we've seen yet yeah yeah I and but for once his acting is supported by a great film a great cast a great script the direction's on point all of this is is fantastic it's enjoyable yeah well look at that look at us feeling good about something look at it. today was the day of the reboot after all yeah that's it today is version 4.0 uncaged future edition <laughs> we're finally back to being nice to nick on a regular we're gonna try and keep this up as we well i'll tell you what before we talk about uh what else we're going to be watching 
there is something we're going to need to do. I mean, it's it's kind of moot because we do know that Joe Enders is going to die, but I'd still like to run this because I think it would be interesting. It's time for cage match. Oh, this deserved a bigger budget than that. I'm sorry, all right? <laughs> all I had to hand was a glasses case and a pair of scissors. Oh, no. I, Hang on, it's wartime. I'm making do. Um, I've got a lunchbox in my fist, if that will help. Yeah, let me hear that. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> the slow thudding. It's cage match. <laughs> Jeez, man. There, there are so... I'm just having a quick flick through my notes here, and there are so many great scenes in this we didn't even get to talk. But in the interest of of time and this not becoming a film podcast yeah let's uh let's get stay on topic we wouldn't want that to happen would yeah, we? yeah heaven forbid <laughs> today we are staring at memphis reigns in the red corner versus joe enders in the blue corner two very different gentlemen here and i'm really genuinely interested to see how this how this plays out let's move on to the first round of this strength oh well i don't think i think for the purposes of this i think it extends to strength of will in opposed to just physical i think in physical and and the mental strength joe enders probably takes this i don't think memphis reigns has that much we don't see any it's one of the very few films that isn't kind of accentuated accentuated around that kind of that the bod you know what i mean and as much as wind talkers doesn't do that either I feel like because it's just because it's not that kind of film. Whereas if we know the method man that Cage is, he's not going to play a, like a captain or a sergeant without being in great shape. We get a great, what felt like me, a Firebirds nod, which is obviously a sick reference. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, where he's, he's jogging on the beach and he's sweaty and the footage is overlaid with uh, stock footage of tidal waves crashing and oh, there's this yes. lone violin playing over the top and it was, oh man, a hilarious sequence. Well, let's talk about one of those first big action scenes where Cage and Ben, uh, Ben goes as disguised as one of the Japanese soldiers. They kill and take his uniform put it on oh, Ben. mate, yeah. What an amazing scene. And then they go in and then Cage just goes absolutely insane. He's pretending to be a prisoner and then just wipes out everyone. And a lot of it is kind of hand-to-hand combat. And I think that alone, that strength won right there. You're absolutely right. That is one nil, Joe Enders. I'm feeling good about our man right now. Yeah. Watch your back. Watch your back, Memphis. Let's move on to the next part of this, which I think will be an interesting one, likability. Ooh. Now, one negative point straight off the bat, Joe Enders does throw out quite a few racial slurs against Japanese people. Yeah. Old habits die hard. I mean, you know, this is this classic cage right there, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yep. I think based on that and the fact that, you know, he is struggling with this morality but does choose orders over yeah, you're right. everything else, I think that this is probably going to go to Memphis Reigns. He knows that he's not living as a good person necessarily and the orders are the bottom line for him he is aware that that is not a good way to live but he seems to just go ahead with it anyway so i think yeah it has to go memphis reigns as well Plus, you've got the fact of like uh all of that backstory you know he started he got done for assault you know he stole a motorbike motorcycle so i suppose that's kind of moot but as i've said it before and i'll say it again <laughs> memphis reigns clearly in his past did some good things because he's able to yeah. do a whip round on the phone and these people drop everything to join his side to commit yeah, whereas, crime. you know, if you're a friend of Joe Enders, chances are you're dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that makes it a tied game at one all. Let's move on to, and this will definitely be interesting, agility. This is a tough Both one. of these men are so hard to shoot. I've got to go with the bullet dodger of Joe Enders in this. I know that this has been like a kind of calling card for Memphis Reigns 
for his driving in Gone in 60 Seconds, but the amount of kind of running and dodging bullets and pulling people to safety and, you know, running running into fire. He gets hit with a grenade and lives. Yeah, it's, it's, there's just some incredible moments in this. I, I think Agility would have to go to Joe in this. I totally back that decision. Ultimately, it does come to him, but he is in a war zone, and the fact he's lasted that long is incredibly admirable. That makes it 2-1 to Joe Enders. I'll let you pick the next round. I think Cage is always good as a decider, so let's go on on appearance here. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, and I, we're very aware we've got the bad man. I don't think he can be beaten. The, the peroxide hair, the, the little sunglasses, the leather jacket. Yeah. I feel like, you know, Joe Enders is a fantastic character, but the, the fact that it's not played for laughs is what makes it so great. There is no gimmick. Whereas uh, Memphis Reigns, is, he, I think he's aware the film needs a gimmick. So I, I think that this is two all going into Cage. Wow, so that leads us to a two all tied game, leading us to a final round of Cage. Wow, what an intent. And this is almost a coin flip at one point because we're getting two very different strains of Cage here in the form Well, we're saying that... Um, the, the cage rage we've had in, in Wind Talkers was like he instilled it into Ben. Yeah, like he's learned to transfer his ability, which is crazy to me. So are we allowed are we allowed to take that in? I mean he essentially has a protege, but it's it's the student becomes the master in this. Well that's the thing, is Memphis Reigns doesn't really have any cage moments apart from that let's ride kind of moment. He's got some cheese, yeah, but it's, it's not, not real rage. Case. And I think rage is the defining. And I think based on that, I think Joe Enders via Ben takes it on Cage. This is where this gets interesting for me. Mm. Because obviously we're talking here about uh, Wind Talkers with... We're talking about how he kind of instills this rage into Ben and then Joe Enders, Nicholas Cage character, ends up uh, dying... And that's the only way he can quell the rage. Ben lives on. But you see him, he's a much calmer version from there. Does Ben Yahtzee win the cage match? No, I don't think so. I think Cage <laughs> realises that Ben Yahtzee's body is not powerful enough to contain this this unbridled cage. You, you know? say that, but he goes on he goes on to play Slipknot. <laughs> He had to borrow it later down the line. I'm going controversial and saying that the winner of today's cage match is Adam Beach playing Ben Yahtzee. No. <laughs> I would contest that, but I, I would say that Joe Enders lends him that power in order to win the match. And th that's amazing that we've, we've seen that happen now and that Cage is that comfortable with his own otherworldly abilities that he can essentially Final Fantasy style summon other people to use it for him to win matches that's incredible yeah, it's very good um we've, we've kind of loosely had a rule that we've never followed but it's been on some and not others where we've not let characters that die progress um is that still the canon so are we saying that although joe enders is the stronger cage uh memphis reigns goes forward yeah that's that is a difficult point i think the only one that we've allowed to go through was eddie because we were aware that he reprises the role in arsenal so somehow he lives because he's not actually dead somehow yeah but then that's not technically canon but anyway he's out so i think that that's kind of a big point i do think that in the interest of fairness and how we've been playing this memphis reigns goes on but i would go on the record to say that joe enders is easily my favorite cage out of the two he's a hall of famer yeah. and i'd say it's something we haven't asked in a while is this a cage classic then in terms of yeah the performance cage gives here is genuinely brilliant and like i said earlier this is the biggest arc i think we've seen any of his characters undergo on screen he is a man that is this headstrong military general and then he he suffers a huge loss by his own hands and his own admission he is plunged into a downward spiral of post-traumatic stress disorder he 
is in a balance is thrown off through to an injury and he really has to overcome his own prejudices as well as his inner demons to let someone into his life that's his biggest fear in this is letting someone get close because he's convinced that everyone everything he touches dies you know he makes the ultimate sacrifice at the end after using his own powers and transferring them to another more able-bodied individual to to win the war and he's amazing in this the film is brilliant and I think they should show this in schools. You've um, gone off on a big couple of paragraphs there on a on a yes or no question. So I'm going to quickly ask again: Is this a cage classic? <laughs> this is a cage classic. Yes, there we go. This is a cage. I classic. I completely agree. In the same vein that Leaving Las Vegas was a cage classic, and that you're not getting big cage moments, but you're getting a solid cage performance, one of the best of his career. Yeah, I think this is. Um an absolute banger. Anyway, Daniel, let's move on to talk about what we have coming up later today, which is... We've got a very special, special episode where we are going to be watching Nick Cage making his director's debut in Sunny. Oh, directing and starring. He's not necessarily starring. He's in the, he's in the film, but this uh, the lead goes to James Franco. It's going to be our first time seeing them work together. Fascinating. He plays a character called Acid Yellow Nicolas Cage. Acid Yellow Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Sick. <laughs> uh, based on that, I imagine that this is, you know, it's more of a side character. It, he's quite far down uh, the cast, so I, I can't imagine him having a huge role in this other than being the director, but I'm really excited to see what he has learned over the last, what's this now, 20 just over 20 that's right 34 days he's a busy man yeah he's he's made enough films that he should know and obviously he's got he's got um unky franco yeah exactly he's in good company he's friends with like scorsese and of course francis coppola coppola is his uncle so let's let's very quickly talk can he make a better film than his brother <laughs> that, that's what, this is gonna go head to head with deadpool maybe me. that's what we've put into the cage match those two films i feel like it's gonna have to be Okay, I'm going to give you a, a, a real quick synopsis of this. Okay, so Sonny from 2002 is coming in at 1 hour and 50 minutes. It's a crime and drama. Mm. Honourably discharged soldier returns home to New Orleans, hoping to break away from his upbringing as a trained prostitute. What? Uh. <laughs> That took a twist. Um, hoping to break away from his upbringing <laughs> as a trained prostitute. But his brothel madam mother has other expectations. Nicholas. So his mum his mum runs a brothel. Of which her son is an employee. And has trained James Franco. Who trains him? Nicholas. <laughs> You rascal, what are you playing at? What is he doing? This is so James Franco as well. Wow. I'm looking forward to learning some more about this. Let's not uh, spoil it. Because I'm, I'm like going to be... end this for you with the tagline from the poster because I enjoy these. Yes, please. His life was the morning after until he decided to change the night before. Oh, okay. I'm into that. Yeah, here we go. I'm looking forward to seeing how Nicholas experiments with the form, what he brings to the screen and what he brings to behind the camera in tomorrow's gripping edition i absolutely cannot to wait to see how in my head there's going to be like a rocky rocky-esque training montage of james franco learning how to become a prostitute <laughs> stop it <laughs> <laughs> and on that note daniel a pleasure as always yeah very much a pleasure today nick i appreciate you man that was a good time yeah thank you very much and like we say every day on the show, despite all my rage, I'm still hanging out with Nick Cage. See ya. Bye.